This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Parcast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal con artists episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the Parcast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular Parcast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today, we're discussing cases of parent-child co-conspirators. What makes a parent recruit their own child into a life of crime? Most parents only want what's best for their children. In fact, some parents are willing to commit crimes themselves to give their children a better life. But what makes a mother or father turn their pride and joy into a budding criminal? There is evidence that criminality can run in families. A study led by Sitska Biesemer found that children of criminal parents had a 2.4 times higher chance of falling into crime than children without criminal parents. The strongest chance came from a transfer of criminality from mothers to daughters, followed by mothers to sons. If criminal activity is normalized in a household, then parents can pass on these behaviors to their children. Our first clip today comes from Espionage, covering Jim Nicholson. Jim was a high-ranking CIA officer who was convicted as a spy. Between 1994 and 1996, he gave information to Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service in exchange for $300,000. Jim was convicted in 1997 and sentenced to 23 years in prison. Despite his incarceration, Jim had not put the spy life behind him. His son Nathan was just 12 when he was sent to prison. Nathan idolized his father, never believing he could do anything wrong. He regularly visited his father in prison, and following in Jim's footsteps, Nathan joined the army as an adult. But after his discharge in 2004, Nathan and his siblings began having financial problems. He revealed them to Jim one day during a prison visit. 
Jim's heart broke at seeing his son so stressed. He couldn't bear the thought that there was nothing he could do. Jim earned a small wage through the prison's labor program, but even with overtime, he could only pull in $400 a month. He wished he could turn back the clock to a time when he was able to help his kids before he was stripped of his assets and his Russian money. Then he had an idea. He hunched over and whispered. He knew a way that Nathan could alleviate the burden. Jim asked Nathan to locate the nearest Russian consulate. His old friends in Moscow were holding an account open in his name, and they might be able to make some early withdrawals. Despite the dubious legality, Nathan agreed. He had finally followed in his father's footsteps, not as a decorated soldier, but as a Russian asset. Jim knew just what to do to prepare Nathan for the task ahead. During each of their visits, he spent a few minutes training Nathan in basic surveillance detection. He taught him to be on the lookout for any people or cars he came across too frequently. Repeat encounters could indicate he was being followed. Jim also warned him that a slowed computer might indicate surveillance and that credit cards left paper trails. When Jim felt his son was ready, he sent him on his first mission. In early October 2006, Nathan made his way to the Russian consulate in San Francisco. It was time to rekindle his father's connections. In that clip from Espionage, Jim Nicholson managed to pull his spy strings even from behind bars, roping his son Nathan into a scheme. Nathan smuggled notes from Jim to Russian operatives. In exchange, Russia rewarded the Nicholsons with money. But Nathan made critical mistakes that alerted the FBI. After an investigation, Nathan was arrested in 2008. For years, he had maintained unwavering loyalty to his father, but in the face of prison, Nathan broke. In exchange for his testimony against his father, Nathan was sentenced to five years probation. Jim had eight years added to his prison sentence. His sentencing memo explained, he groomed his son to worship him and be loyal, and to use scripture and biblical references to build up Nathan's confidence to carry out his scheme. Like Jim and Nathan, our next parent-child criminals were motivated by money, though they turned to violence to get their pay. Coming up, the mother-son con team of Sante and Kenneth Kimes. Before we get back to the show, I have a quick podcast recommendation I think you'll really enjoy. It's an all-new Spotify original from Parcast, and it's called Incredible Feats. Every weekday, comedian Dan Cummins, who you might recognize from the hit podcast Time Suck, explores a true account of physical strength, mental focus, or bizarre behavior. He goes behind the scenes into the achievements of world record holders like Ashrita Furman, who's broken records on every continent. And athletes like Wim Hof, whose training methods allow him to withstand extreme temperatures for hours at a time. And even people like Juliana Kopka, who was forced to survive alone in a rainforest when she was just 17 years old. Incredible Feats is offbeat entertainment that's sometimes weird, sometimes wonderful, and always surprising. 
New episodes air Monday through Friday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the show. So far, we've seen how a father manipulated his adult son to continue his espionage scheme. Our next clip covers a son who was groomed to be a criminal from birth. This clip comes from Con Artists, highlights the mother-son con duo of Sante and Kenneth Kimes. Sante Kimes was a criminal from the tender age of 11 when she resorted to shoplifting to feed herself. By the time she was an adult, Sante had escalated to forgery and fraud. In 1969, when she was 35, Sante set her sights on ensnaring Kenneth Kimes, a millionaire she had read about in a magazine. Over the course of their relationship, Sante grew controlling over Kenneth, eventually roping him into her hustling schemes. When they had a son, Kenneth Jr. was not only brought along on Sante's shoplifting, he was completely isolated from kids his age. After Kenneth Kimes Sr. died in 1994, 59-year-old Sante recruited a new partner in crime, her 19-year-old son, Kenny. He was complicit in her small-time schemes for most of his life, but this marked a clear progression. A friend of Kenny's said of this change, she turned him into the dark side and he got to like it, to the point where he became frighteningly violent she got him to kill people. Psychiatrist Robert Lifton identified several traits of coercive environments. He included control of communication, emotional and behavioral manipulation, agreement that the ideology is faultless, and the classification of those not sharing the ideology as inferior and not worthy of respect. Sante dictated Kenny's entire life from the day he was born, homeschooling him, picking his friends, and generally isolating him from the outside world. She told him, We're superior and better than everyone else. We're royalty. Kenny, everybody uses 5% of their brains. We use 75%. Kenny now served as Sante's general henchman, helping her forge documents, burn down properties, and threaten anyone who tried to stand in their way. 1998 was a banner year for 23-year-old Kenny Kimes and his mother, 64-year-old Sante. It was also the year that brought their downfall. It started in February, when they stole a car. Sante used one of her tried-and-true techniques, walking into a dealership dressed in jewels and designer clothing and offering to pay cash for a new car. She selected a forest green Lincoln town car and wrote the dealer a business check from the Aga Khan International Corporation. The check for $15,000 predictably bounced. But Grand Theft Auto was only the beginning 
In March, Sante and Kenny murdered 63-year-old David Kasdan. In that clip from Con Artists, Sante and Kenneth Kimes escalated their crimes from fraud to murder. When David Kasdan discovered that Sante forged a $280,000 loan in his name, he confronted her. Not one to be intimidated, Sante sent Kenny to deal with David. He shot and killed him. It was only the first in a series of murders. At the Kimes' eventual trial, Kenny finally squeezed out from under Sante's thumb. He turned on her and confessed to the murders to avoid the death penalty. Even still, it wasn't an easy decision. On the day he confessed, Kenny wrote in his journal, Tattle tell, tattle tell, too bad you're going straight to hell. I am no longer the son who will do anything for his mother. So far, our clips have covered financially motivated parent-child criminal duos. But the mother in our next clip brought her children into a horrifying and inexplicable display of violence. This clip comes from female criminals and is the story of the gruesome torture and murder of Sylvia Likens. Sylvia and her sister were in the care of Gertrude Banaszewski while their parents toured the country as carnival workers. Over time, Gertrude began harboring a deep resentment towards Sylvia and took it out on her violently. For months, Gertrude physically tortured Sylvia. Eventually, she recruited her daughter, Paula, to join her in the violence. By August, Paula had become her mother's second-in-command, so to speak. Not only did Paula help around the house, she also helped in disciplining Sylvia and Jenny. While it's not known exactly what made Paula turn against the Likens girls, it could have been that being by this time three months pregnant and fearing her mother's wrath, Paula desperately wanted to stay on Gertrude's good side. Gertrude knew about Paula's pregnancy, but denied it to anyone who asked. In her mind, her eldest was a good girl, and Paula seemed to work hard to stay in her mother's good graces. Around August 1st, Gertrude told Paula that Sylvia had insulted her. In defense of her mother, Paula punched Sylvia in the jaw. Her hand connected so hard, Paula broke her wrist. For weeks after, whenever Paula was asked about the cast on her wrist, she bragged about what happened. It was common knowledge in the neighborhood. Paula even told one woman at church that she'd tried to kill Sylvia. For the next six weeks, Paula used the cast as another weapon against Sylvia. Several times, Paula hit Sylvia across the mouth with it, making her bleed. Lester and Betty visited Sylvia and Jenny a few weeks after their arrival at the Banashevskys, around the middle of August. The girls didn't mention any mistreatment, but they did say they were hungry, so their parents took them out to a drive-in for a meal. We have to wonder, when the girls were alone with their parents and out of the Banashevsky house, why they didn't ask to leave. We don't know what conversations took place between Sylvia and Jenny and their parents. The girls very well could have complained of punishment and been told to just behave themselves and do what Gertrude told them. Or even at this early stage, they could have been afraid of Gertrude and what the woman might do if she found out. And so they said nothing. In that clip from Female Criminals, Gertrude Manischewski and her daughter Paula teamed up against Sylvia Likens, torturing and abusing her daily. Paula was not the only one Gertrude recruited to help her abuse Sylvia. 
Gertrude's son John and a few neighborhood children also participated in the abuse. The torture escalated, and on October 26, 1965, 16-year-old Sylvia died at the hands of Gertrude, Paula, and John. Why Gertrude's young children also participated in the torture and murder of Sylvia has perplexed psychologists. But John Penashevsky, who was released from prison after serving less than two years, later said that he believes the children participated because they feared Gertrude. If they didn't hurt Sylvia like she wanted, Gertrude might direct her violence toward them instead. In today's clips, we examined three relationships between parents and their children. In espionage, Nathan Nicholson was so devoted to his father that he barely thought twice when Jim Nicholson groomed him into a spy for the Russian government. In con artists, Sante Kimes crafted a life for her son Kenny that was so carefully controlled, he almost had no choice but to join her in her fraud, forgery, and murders. And in Female Criminals, Gertrude Banaszewski created a home so frightening and full of jealousy toward a teen that she and her children tortured Sylvia Likens to death. In all cases, these parents abandoned what was best for their children for what was best for themselves. Thanks for tuning into ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on parent-child co-conspirators. We'll be back next week with a new episode on unrepentant criminals. If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast original shows, Espionage, Con Artists, or Female Criminals on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. I'll see you next time. Listeners, you don't want to miss Incredible Feats, the all-new Spotify original from Parcast. Host Dan Cummins free-falls straight into the weirdest, wildest achievements of all time. New episodes air every weekday. Search Incredible Feats and follow free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>